0: Deserters, bewitched, foolish, confused. These are words, strong words, used by the Apostle Paul to describe the people to whom he was writing. It actually reminded me of that old Ella Fitzgerald song, Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered, which is why the music is there. So what on earth was going on? And to whom was he writing? So that's in chapter 1 of Galatians, Galatians about halfway through the New Testament If you'd like to find that or flick to it on your phone And Paul is writing to these people in Galatia He says Paul, an apostle, and these are significant words too Sent not from men nor by man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Okay, so, where's Galatia? She says, trying to get this to change, thanks. Thanks, Mick. Okay, Galatia it was a Roman province. Um, it had actually only just recently been made a Roman province when Paul was writing in the middle of the first century AD. It's in the south of what we now call Turkia, Turkey. Turkey. There was a part in the north that was ethnically Galatia And had been for some centuries That the main churches that he founded Were in the south part And he says Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us From the present evil age According to the will of our God and Father To whom be glory for ever and ever Amen If you look at any of his other letters you will see that he says something positive and nice about the people to whom he's writing. If you look at this one, you can see that he doesn't. So he is really disturbed about them and the words that I started with, deserters bewitched and foolish and confused, are all words he uses about them. So what was going on is actually made clearer later in the letter But basically these churches were made up of those who had believed Paul's message about salvation through Christ alone. Now most of them had previously either been Jewish themselves or uh, foreigners who had converted to Judaism or just straight foreigners who had heard his message. And when Paul and Barnabas had first spread the good news there, there was, understandably enough, Quite a lot of opposition. And in Acts, we see quite a lot about this. It was a revolutionary message. It disturbed people on all sorts of levels. It disturbed the Jewish people because it wasn't exactly the same as they had learnt, and it disturbed foreigners because one God, one God to worship, one way, not a multiplicity of gods. And so we have in Acts um, 13 and 14 what happened when he went there. Acts 13 and right the end, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews, in sight of the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet, in protest, and went to Iconium. And then in Iconium, in chapter 14. Again, the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Chapter, no, verse four: the people of the city were divided; some sided with Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot to mistreat them and stone them, and they fled to Derby and Lystra. In Lystra, then, in chapter fourteen, verse nineteen, some Jews came. They keep coming round. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, won the crowd over. Stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. After the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. So you can see there was considerable opposition back when they started these churches, which is only two or three years before this letter was written. This is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, letter in the New Testament. Next. And I thought there's there's quite a lot of pictures on the internet of the ruins of these cities and the inscription that you see where I've underlined in red actually has the word Lystra on it. But these were quite substantial cities and there was a lot of people became Christians in them. And so there are um, two things that Paul is defending. One is the gospel that he preached and the other is his Standing and authority as as an apostle. So first of all from verse 6 he is defending the gospel that he preached. Verses 6 to 10 I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. Try and notice how many times he uses the word grace in these first parts of the letter. And are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion And are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ And then he he expresses himself very strongly But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel Other than the one we preach to you Let him be eternally condemned And then to make sure they actually heard that bit He says it again As we have already said so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. It's basically slam, bang, you know, get that in your heads. And he says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Why am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. John Stott says, you cannot modify or supplement the gospel without radically changing its character. And that is what Paul is at pains to say in this book or letter. We call it a book because it's sitting in our Bibles, but it was, of course, a letter on a scroll. It points out that the gospel must not and cannot be changed, and then he goes on to show how we can live as as believers in that gospel. So then he tackles them about his authority. He's an apostle, not an imposter. Note in very, very first thing he says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle not sent from man or by man, but by God. So verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made is something that people still say and I always remember working with a supposedly well, edu- well, was well educated when I was young and he'd been at Monash University and he had a degree in history and stuff like that and he informed me, we were working in the archives in Melbourne at that point, he informed me that the Gospel and the, the New Testament had been written by monks on magic mushrooms In the fourth century. I'm I'm um, I'm here to tell you that I disabused him of that idea and he was working for me so he had to listen. Um, Anyway Paul goes on I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For then he goes on this is my story for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. In Acts, it tells us that when Stephen, the deacon, was stoned, Paul was agreeing to his death, or he was then called Saul, and that he was holding the clothes of, or the cloaks of people who were doing the stoning. And he also tried to, um, t- was taking warrants for arrest to Damascus when he was converted. And he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And he, um, can we have the next slide please? Okay, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, the right day. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the really good tribes, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. That's what he says in Philippians. And indeed he was, as well as that he says, in another part in Acts he says he was sat at the feet of Gamaliel. In other words, he was taught by Gamaliel who was the greatest Jewish scholar of the age. And in fact, if you look up Gamaliel, it's some people who say he's the greatest Jewish scholar ever. And so he had impeccable credentials as a Jew. And yet he says, verse 15, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles I did not consult any man. We'll go on a little bit there but he he doesn't say here about how that happened it happened on the road to Damascus when he was going to go and arrest um, Christians in Damascus. He was totally stunned by a vision of Christ he heard him speak. Other people heard the noise but couldn't work out the words he was blinded. He was totally, his, his life turned around It was an absolute 180 degrees about-face, a radical change And he doesn't say that here because he knows they know that story And he says, I did not consult any man nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus So he wasn't getting all this from somebody else, he says he received it basically by revelation Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, Simon Peter, the um, disciple of the Lord, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And so what he's saying is I did not get told all this. It wasn't sort of fed into me and I'm just regurgitating it. I actually heard it from God and meditating on things about Christ and from the Old Testament I worked out what this gospel was. Then he says, they, those churches only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So we've got a timeline here, and where this all fits in. You can have a look at that while we read. And then in the next part, so first of all he says his authority is directly from God, commissioned from God himself. And then he says his authority was endorsed by central leadership. It's clear that these people who were going around telling these churches in Galatia, that people in the churches, that they needed to be circumcised and that they needed to obey the Jewish law, that they were also saying, "Oh, who's Paul anyway? Like, who is this guy, and what what an authority has he got to tell you what to do?" So he said these two things: he got his commission from God, and he was also endorsed and accepted by the other apostles. So, chapter two, going verse up to verse ten. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. And Titus, he was one of the people from Galatia. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek So saying these leaders did not insist on that This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seemed to be important whatever they were makes no difference to me, God does not judge by external appearance those men added nothing to my message, added nothing to my message. On the contrary they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an Apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an Apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so next week Jordan, I think it's Jordan, is that right? We'll continue this story and you'll hear more of this and um, we can see that back in Jerusalem there were people um, also trying to push this line but let's note that it wasn't just, it's not a matter of just saying oh Jewish versus Gentile customs or something like that this goes to the very fundamental heart of Christian freedom in Christ. You know, it's very attractive to think that we might be able to do something to please God. It's actually, it can make us feel quite good to think that we might be able to contribute something. It goes right back to the original sin of pride. And yet, there's a lovely quote that says, there is nothing we can do to make God love us more There's nothing we can do to make God love us less. And so there's nothing we can do to contribute to our salvation. We need to trust in Christ's work alone. John Stott says, What then is the truth of the gospel? Every reader of Galatians should know the answer to this question. I think what he means is, once you've read the book, You'll know the answer to the question. I don't think he means you should start by knowing. It is the good news that we sinners, guilty and under the judgment of God, may be pardoned and accepted by his sheer grace, his free and unmerited favour on the ground of his son's death and not for any works or merit of our own. And that, thanks to... Paul's tenacity and the wisdom and Holy Spirit-inspired insight of those early leaders is where we stand all these centuries later. Can I have the next slide, thanks, Meg? This is a drawing by Marian Arsham, who was part of this fellowship for quite a while, and it's a drawing of one of those early churches listening to somebody reading one of those letters that they in the next few weeks as attentively as those recipients must have. It would be interesting to know how they felt reading this letter from Paul which is basically telling them off big time. But I hope we can listen attentively and gain as much as they must have. Take to heart Paul's message of how to live in freedom in Christ.